All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Today on the show, we have Rachel Feinstein. Uh, Feinstein. Oh, which is it? God damn it. Shit. Let me call her. Hey, Rachel. I, is it Feinstein or Feinstein? Feinstein. Uh, I just wanted to double check. Yeah, I figured I, I was going to say both in the intro, but then I decided why not Why not say it right? So it's Feinstein? Okay, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Clarification. It's Feinstein. We got it. I went right to the source on that. And I, and I, I kept you guys in the loop. So what's happening? Can, can we do a little... Uh, a little business. New WTF cap mugs are available from Brian Jones up in Portland. These are the same mugs I give to my guests. They go on sale at 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Go to brianrjones.com to get yours. Those are nice things, man. That dude makes them himself on, on a little wheel or however they do it. But he's a he's an artisan, an artist, an artisan, a craftsman, whatever, man. Those things go fast, so now you know. Those of you who are listening and have not fast-forwarded, now you know. Also, tour dates. I won't go through all of them. I'll go through the, the, the ones coming up quickly. Campbell Hall at U, UCSB in Santa Barbara, October 21st. There's that. There's Largo here in uh, Los Angeles on October 22nd. The Ice House here in uh, Pasadena, October 23rd. And then uh, Carnegie Hall, November 4th. There are a few tickets left for that. They are up in the in the balcony area. But uh, if you want to be part of that, get on board. I'll be at the Vic Theater in Chicago December 3rd for two shows. And Nashville, Tennessee, November 19th at the James K. Polk Theater. So those are the, the most current ones. I Go to WTFPod.com for the other dates, like in Tallahassee, Durham, uh, Charlotte, uh, Ridgefield, Connecticut, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, New Haven, Connecticut, Troy, New York, Burlington, Vermont. Uh, they're all up there, and they're coming up in the new year. So I won't bog us down with that. Let's, let's get to the meat of it. You know, I've been thinking a lot about things. I've been thinking about this idea of... Uh, you know, not only with the election, but with, you know, just life in general, this notion of uh, trust your gut. You got to trust your gut. I, I don't know how old you are or, or what kind of life you've led, but if you really make a couple of columns, if you just list the times where I trusted my gut and how that went versus the time where my gut had an impulse and I said, hold on, gut, let's let's think this through. I wonder which would be wait, pros and cons. I wonder if the trusting your gut idea really holds up. Yeah, I don't know why you would trust your gut unless it's immediate survival oriented or uh, getting out of harm's way, or uh, you know, an instinct that you have for your safety in a moment. But in the big picture, in the big overarching picture with uh, forethought and, and the future in mind, why the fuck trust your gut? Why not think it through a little bit? I mean, if you have the time to think it through, here you feel your gut and go like, all right, I get what you want. But, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to have to you know, think about it. I'm going to have to put it through the, the mental mill and see if that adds up. And I know some people have trusted their gut and done amazing things and may have changed their lives. But I guarantee you, if you had a life changing thing or you did something and you said, I'm going to trust my gut on this right after you trusted your gut, you broke it down a little bit. I, I guess my point is, is that 
can you really trust your gut? I can't really trust mine. I can't trust my instincts. I can't trust my my first impulse usually, you know, if I'm on stage or something like that, but with life decisions or romantic decisions, most of the time, my dick, not unlike my gut, has gotten me into trouble. So I'm just saying, have a conversation with your gut. You know, don't trust it immediately. Is that is that crazy? If you think that's crazy, trust your gut on this. What the fuck, man? I've been processing things. Something is happening to me. I don't know if it's a midlife thing. I, I think I've exhausted my ability to uh, avoid myself. And I know some of you listen to this thing that you think like, well, it doesn't sound like you're really avoiding yourself. If anything, it sounds like you're overly analytical and self-aware and on top of all that shit. But a lot of tricks you play on yourself to sort of avoid the feelings. And my feelings keep bubbling up, man. I'm choking up. I'm choking back tears. I'm on set shooting this show with all these women. It's like me and 14 women on the cast of this thing. And they're doing things, you know, we're acting and there's scenes where I'm not acting and I'm watching them and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to squirt out tears. That's not in character. Just because of, you know, the engagement, the theatrics of it, real acting, just things happening, like weird little things move me. That means that I've got a, a just a river of emotion that has not been addressed. And somehow or another, I've been holding it back. Right? No matter how forthright I am or no matter how transparent I am, there's still stuff being... There's like a like a secret well of undealt with shit that will start kind of just seeping through the cracks of your being and into your day-to-day life. So it feels to me like whatever was holding that shit back is starting to erode or starting to break down. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I think a lot of things have happened in the last few years. And I know that maybe some of you can relate to this where you know certain things are, are either better or they're worse, but they are, they is. It is where we're at. There is no avoiding it. And that moment where you're like, I can't avoid this shit anymore. That's sort of a scary fucked up moment. But I guess I just got to let this shit happen. I got to let it come out. I got to be okay with it. I just feel like the full evolution into me not being able to bullshit myself is happening. And I'm not thrilled with it because it feels like a regression. But I don't think it is. I think it's actually growth. Sometimes when you're regressing, maybe that's where you fucking left off and you got to start there. Maybe it's not actually a regression. It's actually your 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 defense system breaking down and saying, hey, look, you know, sorry, but we, we had to protect you from yourself or at least help you avoid feelings. It was not a great decision, but uh, we've kept you in the dark for a long time. And now we want to deliver you back to where you left off. So uh, enjoy 14-year-old you and the, emor- and the emotions that, that that implies and that you have and uh, try to get up to speed as quickly as possible so you can be a fully functioning adult. I guess that's my argument. Is it regression or is it just where you left off? Oh, my God. Emails. Right, right. Haven't done that in a while. Emails. Here's some military-oriented uh, emails. Subject line, New Jersey veterans love you. Dear Mark, I listen to your podcast as I commute to my job every morning in New Jersey. From the podcast, I started watching your show, Marin, and then turned my guy, Robert, onto both the podcast and the show. Robert works with veterans here in New Jersey at this transitional residential facility. There are vets who suffered from PTSD, homelessness, as well as drug and alcohol addiction. Most of them were over in Afghanistan and have multiple challenges as they try and restart their lives. Over Labor Day weekend, Robert set up the TV in the common room so the guys could 
watch the marathon on IFC. He brewed a big pot of coffee and watched as the guys slowly got into your show. They were cheering and yelling at the TV. There was laughing and hooting and hollering. Many identified with you and your antics. We wanted to let you know you made a difference that day for these guys. They got a temporary reprieve from the demons and daily struggles. Thanks for your thoughtful work in your podcast and TV show. Warmly, Kathy and Robert. Thanks for that email. It was very nice. I, I can't ever imagine. I have no idea how or where people listen to my show, and it's always exciting to, uh, to get emails. Here's another one, kind of military-based. Subject line, I figured I'd give it a shot. What the hell? Mark, hey, man, I know you're busy. I'll cut to the chase. You seem to be perpetually at war with yourself while somehow being incredibly self-aware. Your transparency about this is admirable. I am a 20-year-old paratrooper who is good at my job and all the machismo that comes with it. However, I have daily and violent fights with an inner voice baiting me to self-sabotage, something I believe you can relate to. How the fuck do you deal with going through an existential crisis? If you can spare a quick word of advice, that'd be pretty cool since I'm a fan. But if you don't, I won't stop listening to WTF or anything. Just figured this would be cool if it worked out for me. SPC Falco, Troy. Hey, hey, uh, Troy, uh, I don't know what it looks like with, with your violent fights baiting you to self-sabotage. But given your line of work, uh, I wouldn't give in to those because it seems like there's really only one option to sabotage yourself and that would seem to to be very a very negative and uh extreme option i i don't know i imagine i would think that that if uh you have the opportunity to jump out of a plane and not die on a daily basis that would put things into perspective given that given the adrenaline of that or maybe it's become a a, a passive activity or a job that uh you know some of that would be would be uh, relieved i yeah, I'm now I've got I'm having a slight existential crisis to know that that a paratrooper uh, doesn't get any sort of adrenal relief from existential crisis by jumping out of a plane. Just be careful, will you? Be careful and uh, wait it out. You know, it's a day to day thing, but I have found over time, if you live, uh, things ease, get a little better, and um, and and you relax. Things become less important, man. Just stay alive. Don't sabotage yourself as a paratrooper, please. Could you? Thanks for listening. So Rachel Feinstein, very funny woman. I'm glad she was here. Uh, you know, uh, I've known her a long time. We finally got around to doing this because she's in New York. Uh, you can check her website, rachel-feinstein.com for tour dates, her specials, uh, and, and more stuff. I also want to mention before I bring Rachel on that Shane Moss uh, came over the other day to do a WTF episode, and he's a very interesting comedian who's evolved a great deal. Uh, it'll be up in a couple weeks, but he starts he starts his 60-city tour today. You can go to ShaneMoss.com for dates. He's doing this massive show, a themed show, about hallucinogens and neuroscience. I mean, this guy is challenging himself, so check that out. That's M-A-U-S-S Moss, ShaneMoss.com for tour dates. So now... Uh, join me as I talk to the lovely Rachel Feinstein. Damn it. Now join me as I talk to the lovely Rachel Feinstein. You don't spend a lot of time out here? Uh, no, not that much. I mean, when I do come out, I still, yeah, not enough to have learned where anything is. I really have no idea where yeah. I am right now. What are you doing out here? What's um, going on? Just no, nothing, nothing that important. Mostly just hanging out with my family. Really? Yeah, my yeah. brother's out here and my niece and nephew. So I've just been hanging out with them. What's your brother do? 
He uh, he works in advertising and does some. Not and, a show business guy. No. No. Yeah, he doesn't. He just hates his job. He has a he has a real life. Yeah, he has a real life. And he has, he has a an family. Honest, decent life. An honest, decent life with a family and kids. And then I come in there, this rancid just, road woman. Yeah, this gypsy <laughs> freak. It's just foul, really. <laughs> yeah, bringing all that garbage from the <laughs> the streets of comedy into his home. I do, do, I do. I do feel like I soil it with me my too. nonsense. Like, and whenever I feel like my friends with kids, whenever they talk to me, they kind of change their voice. You know, like almost like you're talking to a child. Like, Another oh, child. Yeah. yeah. Which How, they are, I guess. Yeah. It's fair. Are you having fun doing the thing? Yeah. yeah. And that, and they, they yeah, they talk to me in the same, because I noticed my, one of my best friends that I'm on the phone with all the time, yeah. she talks to her daughter a lot on the phone right. when I'm on the phone. And I'm like, she uses the same, same daughter tone voice. As, as your, I have the, yeah, she uses the daughter voice for me. She goes, so what's, what did you, how was the show? Did you do a skit? And Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's the it's worst. It's just like. And it's hard not to take it as condescending. Yeah. A little bit. Like yeah. they're trying to be nice, but like it just feels like they don't acknowledge that what we do is a real thing or that no. it exists in the real world. Yeah. I think she thinks it's like, yeah, she, she definitely, you know, there are moments that it excites them, but for the most right. part, they think it's a it, it excites foolishness. Them. Right. It excites them when they see you on television. They're like, right. oh, she is doing something. Yeah. Look, she has a thing. <laughs> but leading up to that, you're just this freak who needs to grow up. Yeah. Right? And I am. And I I think they're they're kind of correct. That's why it's painful. Like, they should use that voice with me. Like, I look at what my, you know, I'm seeing my brother all week, and they're handling real things. They're, you know, they're right. a family, for Christ's sake. I'm coming here with How my many horse kids? shit, you know? Yeah, you're, you're coming in like, <laughs> hey, can I sleep in? Is there? You're not staying there, though. Are you staying there? No, I'm staying with them. You are? Yeah. Because I want to hang out with my- With the know, kids. That. Yeah, with the kids. How old are they? They're uh, six and nine. Oh, that's that's fun. They're yeah. fun now. They're full form people. My niece is funny as shit. My brother was like, she's very sarcastic and hilarious. My brother was like, she was telling a joke to him or something. She's yeah. really telling jokes. And he kind of gave her like a fake laugh. He's like, huh. And he was busy with yeah. something. And she goes, yeah. you know, your fake laugh disgusts me. <laughs> six. <laughs> she gets yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, Ugh. Already on to the guy. He's in trouble. <laughs> So no business while you're out here? No generals? No meetings? No. Um, I mean, there's like an uh, audition like later today, but nothing. But Ooh. there's no general meetings. It's no. just, yeah. What are you, um, are you over but, it or no? I mean, the thing with general meetings is like I I don't understand. I don't. I feel like you're wasting their time and they don't know why they're talking to you. And No, that's all they do. They don't do anything. They. Oh, they, I guess that's the, the way they pretend they... That that's right. Okay. They just like bring... Are there any clowns coming in today? <laughs> <laughs> I'm bored. Can we, is there some comic whose hopes we can, you know, kind of get all excited and then just send them back out onto the streets? Yeah. Bring that uh, Rachel Feinstein here. Yeah. Maybe she could clown around and do like a little jack in the box, do some tricks for me, and then yeah, leave. Yeah, and then we'll have lunch. That sounds fun. I've like, you know, I I said recently I was like, you know, because they was like they're like, do you want us to pack things up with some meetings? And I was like, really no, because I just don't understand what they do. It seems silly, you know, like, and uh, and you know. They were like, somebody was like, yeah, because I kind of came out a little hostile, you know? And, I, and I'm like, I didn't mean it that way. It's just, I don't understand. I just, I feel like it's What's foolishness. What's the point? Yeah. What's the point of these silly general meetings? It's funny. Speaking of friends, talking to friends and stuff, and, and the, the, the way they see your lives, I was leaving like a meeting like that. And I was on the phone with her and she's like, so what do you do? You just go in there? And it, she's right. Like all her questions were reasonable. This is and your she's like, and then what happens? This is your sister-in-law? 
uh, no, this was like my friend from high school. And she's like, and then what happens? Yeah. And it's funny, though, because it's like they see you on TV and it seems really exciting. But then sometimes they'll come out like like my friend that I grew up with came out to see me at the show. And you ever have where they like realize like, oh, you're not important. Like nobody respects. You, you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. They see me on TV and then they came to see me at this club. Yeah. And it was so embarrassing. I hadn't seen this girl since like high school. Yeah. And she, you know, I think she'd seen things I'd done on Facebook. So she was like, mm, Rachel's like, you know, she's accomplished some things in her life and people respect her. Mm-hmm. And then I'm on stage and I was trying to like run the special and everybody was like ignoring me. And this guy goes in the middle of my show, just goes, uh, you have a camel toe. Like he said it loud. Oh my God. <laughs> and then, and then everybody in the audience was like staring at my crotch. Yeah. And like, and I didn't feel that I had a camel toe. I feel like that wasn't, and I looked down and I was like assessing it. And I'm yeah. like, no, I don't. I couldn't think of anything funny to say, but just like. That's kind of like very sort of specific and personal and fucked yeah, up. Yeah. And I didn't have a camel toe. And then this woman goes, no, it's the way the light hits her pants. I thought the same. And they were dis- discussing it. <laughs> While you're on stage? While I was on stage, they broke up into like, yeah, they were kind of discussing and arguing over whether I had a camel toe or not. And I could just see my friend in the audience just looking at me like. This is your life? Yeah, this is your life. What did she do? What's your friend do? She like works for Walmart. Like she does some sort of, I don't know, thing I want to. It's a very difficult period to, you know, to be, to do what we do and not have enough to show for our, like regular people do not see it as valid until everybody knows who you are. You're right. It's yeah. weird. And now it's even harder because like, it's even more specific. Even when you do a big thing, they're like, I don't get that channel. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> where is that? Like, I have a series on television. Is that a, do I have that on our cable? I don't know. It's fucked up. Like back in the day, you had a TV show. It's like, you got a fucking TV show. Now it's like, I don't think we get it. Do we get it? Yeah. No, my parents can't watch anything. It's just too overwhelming. Where did them. you grow up? I grew up in Bethesda, Maryland. Mar- really? Yeah. By, mm-hmm. uh, by DC? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you ever do Chip Franklin's rooms? <laughs> yeah, that sounds familiar. You know, I think my dad did something. Does he like book other things besides? I don't know. He my was dad's a, a musician. I think he might have done. He was a comic. He had a, he actually, he, there was, I think the Ramada in Bethesda used to have a comedy club. I think I. Like, uh, you know, and he would host the shows. Maybe he booked other shit. I think I did some, I know I did some like hotel in Bethesda years ago. Like I bombed at some. Oh yeah, strange hotel in Bethesda. I don't remember which one it was though, but it might have been that. It had to have yeah. been that gig. It must that, have been. Yeah, it was. Bethesda, like, it was in Bethesda. You were like it was opening, a hotel. like you, uh, for a headliner. Yeah, I don't even remember who it was. I just remember it was. <laughs> yeah, that must have been that room. Yeah. How long have you been doing it now? Like seventeen, eighteen. Oh my years. god! Yeah, I, like it's so weird because I remember you. When I you guess were... actually no, that's not true. I guess like six, sixteen years. Yeah. I remember you when you were a child. I know. I started really young. I knew you when you I were a kid. I started when I was 20 years old. Yeah. I'm, like, I remember seeing you around. Is that right? Yeah. In New York? Yeah. You were like a contemporary of my exes, right? <laughs> you and Mishnah kind of started yeah. around the same time. Yes. And you guys were doing At stuff. Boston. Yeah. I can't, I can't fucking believe you've been around that long. Yeah. I started, I just, I never went to college, so I just, I was just there in New York hanging out. You were this you know. loud Jewish girl. <laughs> Yelling on stage in different voices. <laughs> Ugh, this is disgusting. I what do you at, mean? 
I just look at old tapes of myself, you know, and even newer ones. And I'm just like, what did I ever need to say? Like, just for the love of God. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. Really. But but it's but that but you worked out all these like good characters and things. And you, <laughs> you've been like, you've always been around. I'm so happy you've been doing it so long. And now and this is the first special you did. Well, you were always nice to me when it, when I would go to the table. You yeah. Know, and I'd be terrified at the cellar. Yeah. And uh you know, they used to do this thing that they would go, Rachel, come here. And then I'd, I'd like lean in, you know, yeah. I, I, it was like right after I got off stage and yeah. I thought they were going to give me a compliment, you know, and you're like opening up your body language yeah, yeah. to get your compliment. Yeah. They would just, you know, like at the table, they just call me over and yeah. I get in real close. Like, yeah, beat it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. I, I thought like, oh, they're going to tell me that I had a good, you know, like, no, of course. No, no, it's that. just yeah. you know, like testing you. But I remember you would watch them. You didn't really participate in much of that. You were always very like kindly towards me. You know, I never understood the dumb games. I, I hate being a victim of that shit where they'd say your name and then pretend like they didn't say it. Yes. That yeah. thing, you know, that they did. They, well, it was like Patrice and Norton. <laughs> Colin was usually pretty nice, but he didn't stop any of it from happening. <laughs> Yeah, I was nice to you because I thought that you. Uh, I, I think I was uh, a little uh, frightened of you, and I thought you didn't like me. You were frightened of me. Yeah, because you were. Kinda... I was. I was like a scared little. Like, I was like a scared child. I, didn't I know, know, but you had. A, you guys you, were. Important. You had a lot of swagger. Really. <laughs> That's how I remember it. I was a slovenly mess. I remember I used to wear overalls every. Right, you were all sweaty, all kind overalls of. Overalls and yeah. <laughs> you were like, like a, kind of this like swarthy girl that used to come around, kind of sweaty and disheveled, <laughs> Jack, just jacked up, like looking kind of dirtyish. God, <laughs> I remember I wore overalls every day, and you know DC Benny, who's the sweetest yeah. guy in the world. Yeah. He was so gentle with me, but he took me aside one time because I wore the same overalls. And yeah. he was like, you know, you could you could always do something else. You know, like he was like, you <laughs> mix it up a little. Yeah. And he was so gentle with me. That's what it, it, I still remember. Because like, every, you know, like he, all you guys just like were so intimidating to have the smallest exchange was magnified in my yeah. head. You know, I think I thought maybe like I was hoping he was going to like hit on me or something. Who, <laughs> DC? Yeah. And he just gently told me that I should stop wearing these overalls. overalls and then somebody heckled me and screamed like get off the stage super mario brothers and that heckled traumatized me enough to, to get rid of the overalls when that guy called you me get super some good mario heckles brothers. camel toes super super mario brothers like they're a woman they're gonna call you super because of your overalls. my overalls but it's kind of funny it sounds like know, some mattel would say <laughs> <laughs> what are you <laughs> it's funny that you were intimidated by me because i was so dirty <laughs> why why do i think you do you dated charade Sherrod and I were roommates for many years. Oh, that's it. But we never dated. And and in fact, it's funny. Um, yeah, I mean, they he brought over so many girls when we were living together that they, and they had to walk through my room to get to the bathroom. Ah, uh, New York. Ugh, and it was so <laughs> embarrassing. I was having to have these like weird conversations with these just like insecure girls who were like pulling their t shirts down, you know. And then I felt bad because Sherrod would bring me in like before they hooked up and we'd all have a beer together. Right. And he'd be like, Rach, come in. And I think he wanted me to be part of like the oiling process you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah and make, and make that, them comfortable like he's okay yeah and then they trusted him more because of me like oh he's got this female roommate and i'm like oh no you, you're he's making a, a terrible decision <laughs> right now yeah he's an animal but um him and tone at the time tony rock and Sherrod, it was like yeah. the three of us we do all those bringer shows together and right and they would bring over so many girls and they thought it was hilarious to just kind of terrorize me with how much ass they were getting yeah and then they made a rule that i could never bring over any guys even if i was in a relationship with the guy they were just like nah no dummy no <laughs> they just thought it was funny did you though 
once, but like they terrorized him to a point that it wasn't worth it at all. You know, oh. They just thought it was funny, you know, yeah. to just drive me crazy. If I was dating anybody, they just found it hilarious. <laughs> just the idea that me, I'd bring my dumb body out on a date was funny to them. Uh, you definitely paid your dues then, living with Sherrod for years. Yeah, we actually moved together. Again. Like we, we lived in one you place and then we moved it. to another, you know? I like him. Yeah, he's a really fun guy. I mean, he's, you know, he's... It's like all those years of my life, like that most people are, you know, in college or whatever. I mean, it was just me, Sherrod, and Tony. So they're like my family, yeah. you know? And, oh. uh, and Sherrod's, when Sherrod would be fucking a girl in his room, often he would have one of his brothers sleep in my room because they would be staying with him but he'd have to they'd have to clean out when he was going to bang some girl so, so you'd have to just sleep with i'd often sleep next to uh his youngest brother we called him dewey yeah um kenny and uh so he would just be in the bed next to me you know this 19 year old kid we'd just like fall asleep next to each other and chat oh my god <laughs> what the, what's wrong with us just... the, po- the place was so crazy we used to just refer to it as squalor we'd be like yeah. i'll meet you back at squalor because the shower was in the kitchen it was just an unacceptable one of those like weird four with the like shower tenements. and like the, yeah. with the tub that was hidden yes or was it all right there did it have like a no there a... was no tub there was only a shower next to the sink and there was no tub no Oh my God, that's mm-hmm. like a real flat, you know, like a, one of those like weird tenement buildings. Yeah. Yeah. Where was that? That was on Seventy uh, Fifth Street, um, between First and Second. It's amazing yeah. what we used to put up with in New York. Uh, yeah. For a living situation, it's crazy. I thought, I mean, I thought that was cool. Like, I was like telling everybody, you know, I'm like, I'm living in Manhattan, like, get off my dick. Meanwhile, right. I was living in squalor. I yeah. was. No, it's, they're the yeah. worst. It's unacceptable. And, you th- and you're paying like, what, $1,500, $2,000 for- At that time, I think we were paying something weirdly cheap. We got like a rent stable. Oh, really? we had no money. I was a nanny during the day and I was nanny- You nannied? For many years. Yeah, that's really? like what I did. Yeah. How many people did you nanny for? Was that like an everyday thing? Yeah, I would do it five days a week. And, for one family? And do stand up at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're like part of their family. So I was part of their family and I was really attached to the, these kids, you know, also because like I hadn't, I wasn't able to keep a job before that. So that was like the first job that I could keep for long periods of time because I really love kids. How do you become a nanny though? Do you have to have, fill out paperwork? Is there, there was a, a test service. Or? There was a service that I found and, and I went and I... Yeah, um, I'd done some babysitting in high school, and I used to, to do this like after-school program in D.C. to make extra money when I was um, a teenager. So I used like a reference for that, and I just started taking care of kids there because I like kids a lot. Right after high school, you started taking care of kids. Uh, well, first, first when I moved to New York, I moved when I was seventeen. Really, um, your parents just let you do that? Yeah, they were like, "Sounds terrific." Get out! They're, yeah, get they, out! They are like uh, aggressively liberal to a point that was like. A little baffling, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I moved to New York with this guy in his band called Dick Sister, and Dick Sister. I moved with Dick Sister. Yeah. But wait, your dad? You said was a music, a, magi- a musician, not a magician, <laughs> a musician. He was a, uh, yeah. He was a blues. He is a blues musician. What's he, w- he play? He plays piano and zydeco accordion. Really? Mm-hmm. In a yeah. In a band. He's he goes by the name Hurricane Howie. Hurricane Howie, but he plays in a variety of bands like around DC and stuff. He's amazing. He's he plays all by ear, you know, piano and accordion, harmonica. Anything. So he's a Jewish blues guy. Yeah, he was a civil rights lawyer for many years. Um, before I was born, he was like prosecuting KKK cases and stuff like that in the South. And really, yeah. And now he teaches civil rights and he plays blues. Yeah. 
Like he's classic Jewish liberal classic, yes. activist <laughs> dude. Yes, totally. How, how old is that guy? Uh, I think my dad's like, I want to say, wait, let me think about this. I think he's like 67 now. So was he part of like the original civil rights movement stuff? Yeah. Was he like going down there for Freedom Summer down south and marching and things? He, um, I don't know, like, I know this, that he went, um, he worked out of the Department of Justice and he prosecuted hate crimes. And so he prosecuted Klan murders, um, reinforced Brown versus Board of Education laws. Uh He basically, um, and he prosecuted police officers for cross burnings and murders in the south. And so he would often go down... You know, it was this Jewish guy, Howie and his black partner, yeah. and they would go to these towns and um, and they hated them there. And they would go and sit in these restaurants that are supposed to be, they say they're integrated, but right. they weren't really. And so they would go sit and just piss everybody off. And then they would often stay under like fake names and stuff because, you know, there were death threats against them for sure. And then they would go into these schools, like the schools that weren't really uh, enforcing Brown versus Board of Education. And my dad would said that that sometimes they would give them like a a child's chair to sit on in the hallway, just like humiliate them in these variety of ways because they would come there and they're, you know, coming, they work for the government. And so they ask to see certain documents and things and they go, sure, we got your papers for you. And then they they go, here you go. And then they bring out some chair meant for like a kindergartner really slap it on his lap yeah so he did that for years he did that for years yeah and then he retired and now he's just a blues guy and a teacher no then he got like i think around the time i was in seventh grade or so he ended up you know they weren't prosecuting as many kkk cases right and and all the and hate crimes so he was a kkk specialist he didn't just specialize in kkk but hate crimes in general but they weren't they weren't prosecuting. They just weren't taking on as many civil rights cases at the time. And yeah. so and uh, Department of Justice was like inhibited in a variety of ways. Also, it wasn't as bad as it used to be. You right. Know? And so he ended up getting and then he had three kids living in Bethesda. And so he ended up getting this job at kind of like a private practice firm. Yeah. But he hated it. And I remember being really nervous. I was like, dad can't do that. Like, dad's weird. You yeah. know, because he was strange. <laughs> yeah. You know, he is like a. Like a hippie Jew. Yeah. He had like weird kicks. Player. He would. He often like flicks his own head. He does a lot. You know. He's oh, just, really? He's a bizarre. He's, he's a head flicker. Yes. He's a head flicker. He's a, just a bizarre but brilliant guy, but not anybody that could do small talk or schmooze people or anything like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. My dad, like, I think he moved to Bethesda because he told me because he liked their used book and record stores. Sure. So he just, you know, he didn't, he just would, he's one of those guys he would say he had a bizarre sense of humor. He was very, you know, he was very odd. And I just was like, he can't, dad can't schmooze yeah, people. That's can't insane. Be in, the, in the organized world. No, it's Corporate world. Yeah. Yeah. He wears like an undersized like Howlin' Wolf t-shirt with a stain on it every day. I with love his, this like, guy. belly coming out. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and he, and he got laid off. He didn't, and he hated it. Uh-huh. And so, um, you know, and then he was, that was hard because yeah. my mom was a social worker full time for, and then there was three kids. So yeah. your mom was a social worker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is she still? She still is. Yeah. These these are no. This is noble breeding. You come from good, progressive, caring people. They really are who want to change the world. They're really, really kind, and they do, and not, and not just when they're working. When they're not working at these amazing, insane jobs, my dad. 
um, he he has this uh, he has like a foundation that helps women get out of uh, situations with where they're trying to leave um, domestic violence, yeah, or, or, or uh, violent home situations, and they volunteer on like. But yeah, they're just constantly doing something. You Social know? Like workers. Every, every, every like liberal presidential campaign. Yeah, they're just always, anything they say, they're actively doing, you know? They're like people, like, they're, they're people that do the real work that, you know, really, you know, helps people. Yeah. In, in a way. Like, on a day-to-day basis, in their way, they are servicing, you know, the people that are in trouble all yeah. the time. And it's like... There's so in my mind, I, there's a lot of people that do that, but you never hear about them because they're too fucking busy. There's a lot of people that talk about what should be done of and course. what needs to be done, but there are people like your parents that are like going to work every day and dealing with that and insanity. actually dealing with it. Yeah, I mean, and it's funny. It's it, it's like yeah, the rest of us are rambling on about our opinions, and this should be like so, and that yeah, should be like so. Right. so. But yeah, no, they actually do it. And my dad, even my dad, wrote a book about his days prosecuting. You know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and even when he did his book, he, he had all the proceeds go to some, like, you know, charities of their uh, victims of this kind of stuff. And you know, really? even that, I was like, oh dad, just like keep half, keep like, a- you know what I mean? Like he's on his like book <laughs> tour, but it's just like, they're like that. Like they're the kind of people, like if they get extra change back at a payphone, they're like, oh, that's not mine. I'll leave it right there where it is. Really? You know? Almost to a point where it's like heartbreaking, you know? Yeah. I just want to be able to do, you know, make sure. I well, want to be able did, to help them. How? What did your dad grow up in? Did you know your grandparents? Were they like you know like um, like his parents? Were they, were they like New Yorkers? Like I yes. Just, how did you know that? Yeah. Well, because like there seems to be some sort of chain of history. Like you know those people that kind of you know made something of themselves. I'm, I'm assuming this is a Jewish story in my mind. Yeah, you're you're so far your Jewish story is absolutely <laughs> correct. That they 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 struggled. They did all right. They put their kid through college. And then, you know, he became a decent guy and didn't go the other way, you know, where he just like made a bunch of money. Yeah. I mean, I think I think his parents, I think he wanted to be a musician and he wanted to play blues. And yeah. then his parents said, you'll go do, to college, yeah, go to go, be a lawyer, you'll be a doctor, or you'll be a lawyer. And yeah. so he was like, OK, well, then I'll do civil rights law because it's something I believe in. And then he found himself in this kind of soul sucking job after civil rights. Right. Was done, and then he was very depressed. And so then how does he make a living yeah. now? Now he plays blues again. Now he does that full time now. Really? So, yeah. So did you grow up in a house full of records? Yes. Like every room. Yes. Yeah, so many <laughs> records. I mean, we would go to this record store. That was my dad and I. That was how we spent our Sundays. Yeah. Long lectures about the importance of one record over another. I would be like seven. I really didn't understand what yeah. he was referring to. But oh, yeah. God. I love He's this like, guy. This is why this is a decent record. Look at this right here. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like some record store, there was always like a cat like walking around in it. My dad was like trying to explain to me why this record was so much more important and why I needed to respect it. You know, uh-huh. and I was just like, "Can we get ice cream?" And, yeah, none yeah. of that sunk in, huh? No, now it does. Yeah. Now it does much more. You know, and yeah. he got me into all that music and stuff too. But yeah. um, so now I think I think when I was a kid, I didn't. He was weird, and he had a weird sense of humor, and like sometimes it would embarrass me. And now I realize it completely informed my sense of humor you know but he was just so bizarre like he had this band called the vomitones oh he thought it was hilarious to just call his band the vomitones and he knew it would embarrass us i think he also got some like he got joy out of that right and so the vomitones um 
they would play what they referred to as a tour, which just consisted of like two gigs in Michigan. Yeah. And my dad called it the Hands Across Uranus tour. So uh-huh. he would wear this Hands Across Uranus, the vomitones, like, right. you know, so you breakout nice- tour. And then he'd come to pick me up in school. And I was like, God, dad's going to be wearing the vomitone <laughs> shirt, you know? And now yeah. I'm like, that's hysterical. Right. But at the time, I'm like, Jesus, dad, you know? Yeah, yeah. He would howl. They would practice in my basement. My dad was always howling. Yeah. Know? He just liked to howl. And then some of them would moon after their performances. My dad said he didn't moon as much as the others because he said because his ass got too sweaty to, uh-huh. s- to get up from the piano. <laughs> right. And but, your mom um, just put up with all this? Yeah, I think she was She was definitely, like, my dad drove her crazy. And she, they're together? They're still together, though. Yeah. It's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have, you know, they have their moments, but they're but they're very, I think they, like, they see the world the same way and yeah. so they and they admire each other and yeah. I think that's definitely kept their marriage together so you have a sister too no just two brothers two brothers two brothers one's out here one's out here where's the other one he's in Maryland what's yeah. he do he's uh he's a social worker like my mom he's a therapist and he works in a school in um in DC he went to the Peace Corps he's like my mom's my parents kid you know he's like went to the Peace Corps for years learned to speak Spanish and fluently, so now he does work with kids in this um, school in D.C. A lot of the kids um, coming through, you know, immigrated here yeah. illegally or something like that. So they're they're dealing with the repercussions of going through various trauma. You oh know? my god! And so my brother works with those kids, and uh, he's a doll. He's just like the loveliest person, uh-huh. you know. But they're, but they're both like that. My brothers are like ridiculously just like kind, good men and you're just this sweaty girl wearing overalls i'm just this animal trying to (laughs) trying to do stand-up comedy flailing around doing these disgusting things playing at these disgusting places using foul words well what does your old man think about your comedy you know my dad loves it he's so supportive yeah yeah he was the one who like when i moved to new york with dick sister and i was like what the fuck was dick sister (laughs) just this just this band what happened to that guy he dumped me Pretty soon after we moved to New York, and it was really embarrassing because I'd like said, told everybody I'm going to New York, and I made like a big thing out of it. I was right. very proud. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to be a comedian in New York, and I'm going to move there with Dick's sister, who I was so in love with. And then he dumped me pretty soon after we got there, and it was kind of awkward because my dad like came back and had to sort of like repack me, you know, <laughs> like and take me back home. Like, cause, <laughs> and then he sort of undumped me, and I yeah. didn't have any self esteem at the time. So I was like, okay, I'm not dumped again. I'll yeah, come back. I'm going you know, back. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. really sad. It was dark. I was young. And then, yeah, you know, whatever. And then so we, we lived together, and then I think, I don't know if I he, I don't know if he redumped me or how I left. I don't remember exactly. I like undumping but. and redumping. I've never heard it framed like that. <laughs> I think he redumped. I'm me. undumped and then you're redumped. Yeah, because I can't see me dumping him again because he was all I had there. I'm pretty sure he redumped me. And then I um I met this woman on the train uh-huh. uh, on the Greyhound bus actually, and I was going back and forth to Maryland on the weekends, you know, because I was working um, a little bit in Maryland on the weekends and I miss my friends and so. She uh, she was this like sweet Bengali lady, and she like shared her bagel with me. I was weeping about Dick's sister, and I was like really upset. And she's like, "You could live with me." So I moved in with this Bengali family in Queens, and I live with them. <laughs> <laughs> How was that? You <laughs> you live with Sharad. You live with some Bengalis. <laughs> You're doing the same work as your parents in some weird way. Just oh, my mom bringing loved people it. together. As long as somebody's like dark, my mom has no questions whatsoever. <laughs> If they're beige or darker, she's like, anything you do with them is fantastic. (laughs) 
You're bringing people together. Yeah, I mean, Dick's sister was five years older than me. Like, yeah. I don't know if that's statutory rape or not, but my mom is not a question in the world. Yeah, oh, but, really? But um, Was he dark? Dick's sister? Yeah, I think he was half black or something. I can't uh-huh. remember what his um, cock- cocktail was, but... Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and then and then the Bengalis. My mom loved that. Yeah, I'm so weird with uh, anything around Indian food. I'm like, that must be great just to have the food and the smells. No, the food was awesome. All she day- would, and actually, that's kind of like how she sold living there to me. Like when we were on the tri- the the bus, I remember she was describing our life. Yeah, she was worried. You know, she felt sad for me because I was this girl weeping over some guy. Yeah. you know, and my dirty overalls. And she was like, she was like, you come to live with me. And she kept saying like, we'll take a certain kind of bread. I can't remember what it was called, but she was like, we'll take bread and we'll take rice and just she's it taking yeah. and it seems yeah. so pleasing and yeah. she said in the mornings we'll take marmalade and I'm like yes that's all I want I just want to I want a soothing morning and t- I want to take marmalade that sounds like that was it I was like I'm done I'll hurl my body and over that there. was where in a story or somewhere that was in Woodhaven Queens like way out way 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 out in Queens so and they did we they had we had lovely mornings I was just part of their family and I would wear I would go to their weddings and parties and I'd wear saris and for how long for a few years, yeah, a few years. When you were like 18? 19, I think at that point. Maybe, no, eight, maybe 18. Yeah, I must have been 18. Yeah. So, all right, so you leave your uh, your lefty Jewish parents to go to New York with, with Dick's sister? Dick's sister. That goes back and forth. You meet a Bengali woman on the, on the bus, and mm-hmm. you just move in with them, and you become part of their family. Yeah. You go to weddings, you eat non bread and whatever. Yes. That's what they have. <laughs> And uh, when when do you start doing comedy? Uh, then I th- I think I was still living with the Bengalis. No, no, I, no, I wasn't living with them. I was what watching. What were you doing? I was. Um, I got fired from a couple of jobs. I I worked at. A, so you had no real plan other than to like this. Is I wanted a good to family. Do, I wanted to be in their family. I think, and I wanted to do. <laughs> that was your job. I, I wanted to be Bengali <laughs> and feel this love of these people. Honestly, I think I was so lost and like depressed i was just glad that i found like somebody there to keep me company you know and and it was like isolating because i had no when i broke up with the dick sister guy i fell in love with this or not fell in love so not a proper use of that term but i i got had this big crush on the pizza guy on the corner at woodhaven the, and then woodhaven where the i guy lived. the slice guy mm-hmm, the slice guy <laughs> and i thought he was so hot and i would just go sit where in there he from for like uh, I don't know. He was like Italian American. Italian guy? Yeah. Yeah. And I would just go sit in there for like, when I think about this now, I must have terrified him for like a haunting period of the time just because I wanted to be near him because I thought he was hot, you know? Yeah. So I would just go sit in there and like eat a lot of pizza <laughs> and, and look at just a guy? look at him kind of. Yeah. I think I thought I was being kind of demure, like he, pretending to just be innocent. Maybe like, he must have known. For hours yeah. every day, like once or twice a, lot a week? A time. And definitely an unstable amount of time I spent in there. And I remember getting ready for him, like, you know, just like thinking about him at night and what I was going to wear the next day, just uh-huh. hoping he was going to hit on me. Uh, she never did. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and everybody in the family, you know, the, the Bengalis all knew about my like Obsession non-relationship. Yeah. With the pizza guy. Yeah. And yeah. I would just go in there and sit because I because also it's like besides my Bengali family, I didn't have any friends my age or anything. And I was just really lonely. So I would go and sit in all these I spent a lot of time just sitting in restaurants. Did you do that? Like just yeah. wanting, like wanting to talk to people. Yeah. Well, and stuff? I, I have I have a similar disposition. I don't know what it is, where you know you want to feel connected or or received. Where like you sort of feel. I felt that way for a long time. Like I was like I didn't have a whole personality, mm-hmm. and that like I'd have to go wait to engage with somebody to to kind of figure out 
where I fit in and who I was. And I used to spend a lot of time doing that in restaurants. I don't know if that's what your trip yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Like, so you would talk to people just all the time. To... Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I was just, it's a loneliness, but it was almost like, I don't know what I was looking for, but when I look back on it, I don't think I really knew who I was. How old were you at this time? Well, that was through high school and, you know, maybe my early, but I mean, I started doing comedy when I was, you know, 20, 21. By the time I started drinking and got to college, I, I developed an aggressive demeanor. But I think deep down, like when I was in high school, I used to just sit around the college restaurant where I worked, mm-hmm. just talk to crazy people because I was like, they know something. They got it figured out. Yeah. I always thought other people had it figured out. I know what you mean. That's how I felt too. Like they're real and then I have to figure out how I'm supposed to do things. I've right. never had that many opinions. I always just started figuring out what my opinions were supposed to be based on, you know, in terms of like, not like political or worldview, but just in terms of like how, how you do, how to live. Yeah. yeah I, I know. I like, I felt like I didn't, I didn't know. Like I, I went to college though, but then you just sort of like, you're afforded four years to, to not know how to live in a context where you're supposedly <laughs> learning, you know? I, I was thinking about that yesterday. I was just standing at my sink washing a cat bowl and I'm like, well, I have my own house. How the fuck did that happen? <laughs> like, what? How did? Like, I, I wasn't designed to know how to do this. Yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> it's it's funny though. I know exactly what you mean. I always like say that. I'll be like, I always feel like I'm just like not like a, we don't have a real life. No, I'm like I'm not a woman. Like, how am I able to use that term? You know, like I don't. Like, call- what, it's weird, right? I don't like. I guess other people, like your sister, like mm-hmm. or I mean your brother. You know, you walk into a life, I'm like, this is like a design, this is how life is supposed to look. Yeah. I never planned on that shit. Like, big house, family, I never even thought about it. I remember I dated this guy, and I would, like, hang out with his family in the kitchen, and I remember I'd be like, can I help? I feel like they kind of sniff that out on you, and I remember they would give me things to do in the kitchen whenever I'd ask his sister, who was, like, a real adult, yeah. if I could help her. She would give me the same things that you would give, like, a kid that was playing pretend in the <laughs> Again, kitchen. She yeah, would, yeah. yeah, you could stir this, but then she would give the other ladies, like, real <laughs> yeah. things to do like that she would actually things? be help. Yeah, they'd yeah. be chopping. <laughs> you, I would just be, like, fake stirring nearby. She'd be like, like well, why don't you go ahead and stir this some more? I'm the like, simple it's... girls here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the lost the dim ones. Yeah, the, the lost girl <laughs> wants to feel useful. What the fuck is that? So wild because I definitely, I definitely felt that. But it seemed like you had support and like decent parents who what? Why were they so self involved or did, that you felt detached from it? Why did you like? It seemed like you would have learned how to be a, a like a, a good person. Well, and, I w- I loved like kid. I've always loved kids, and yeah. like, I think I, they definitely taught me how to be you know like kind and right, trustworthy right. and all right. those good. You qualities. just didn't know what you wanted to do. I just didn't. I didn't. Well, also like I had failed so wildly in like school. Like you know, like a lot of comedians, I'm sure it's not an original tale, but like I got you know D's and F's and never took my SATs and. And so um, I was just so insecure about not knowing if I would be able to live. Like you said, like right. you're function. surprised. You're, yeah, function. You just charm your way through school somehow and you flunk the important classes. Barely, yeah, yeah graduate. I didn't even take my SATs. And I didn't t- take SATs. I took ACTs. I don't even know if they're real. What is real. ACT? What is that? I don't know. It was some West... I grew up in New Mexico and you could take these ACTs. I never took SATs. But there were there was another one. There's like the the second one, the B level college entry. <laughs> Call, I believe they were called ACTs, but no one ever knows what they are because everyone took guesses. I had no idea. I just knew I wanted to be smart and I wanted to, you know, know things. But I didn't have a. I never had a plan of what I wanted to do for years, and I just walked into like comedy. That seems to cover everything. Yeah. 
But like I didn't have. But a you plan. seem like you had information early on. Like I feel like you. Like, you know, my dad has one of those information guys. Like he knows. Well, right. Everything. I wanted to I be. Feel your, like you were I like wanted, that, right? I wanted to be your dad. I wanted to be like that guy. I just wanted to have a lot of records and be yeah. smart and you know yeah. know about music and and be intellectual somehow. Well, you gave off that vibe. That's what you struck me as one of. The, so I think that's you all did, I wanted so you, to do. That you definitely succeeded in it now, but I think even then you did. Because, well, yeah, yeah, I was in pursuit of some knowledge, but it never had anything to do with making a living. <laughs> Like that part was like way, <laughs> it never even came into point. Like I'm going to be, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to write some poetry. I'm going to write plays. I'm going to do the stand-up thing. It never, there was never a sort of like, how do I get, you know, make a money to live? Yeah, it was terrifying. I mean, I felt like that so much because my fear was like, well, if I don't make money to live and I can't figure this out because I was getting repeatedly fired and stuff, I was like, I can't, nobody's going to help me. My parents have no money and I don't want to be any strain on them ever. Like now I just want to be able to help them somehow. So it was right. scary because I just, I was just afraid I was going to, you know, not be able to pull anything off. And then like still to this day, I think I was so insecure like at school. I don't know how you feel about it, but like when I walk into a school even now, yeah. I smell a school. Yeah. I just feel sad because I... I just did. It was just this place I went and felt like I wasn't smart for so long. I just felt like I wasn't like I was able. I was funny enough to move through. You mm -hmm. know, I had friends or I had I desperately wanted to be around people. So I'd sort of wedge my my way into groups of people and yeah. be a funny guy. Yeah. But um, but I I don't know that I felt dumb. I just felt like a little detached from it. Like I don't yeah, like you were watching it. Like, yeah, kind of. Like I don't remember. Like I was thinking about that recently. I don't remember doing any homework ever. I don't remember doing it. Yeah. I didn't. I got D's in like in algebra, chemistry. I got I I failed ish. They gave me an E, which wasn't even a real grade. We got E's too. You got <laughs> it's E's too. A silly thing to look at an E. <laughs> but even in English, I was just like half asleep all the time. High school was just this completely exhausting, uncomfortable time for me. Yeah, I, I get and my. But the thing was, I never. My parents never. Like I could not. They never helped me do homework. I literally don't remember doing any homework. I don't. I don't think I did much either. I remember everybody always being upset with me, just like Rachel, please, like for the love of God, you yeah. know, like. And I felt like I was sort of terrorizing my family with yeah. my like flailing nonsense. But I, I don't think there was much structure, you know, right. like. And I think kids really need that. I think that's what that's I what it when is. I was like a nanny. I started working with this um autistic child that oh, I got yeah. felt really fell in love with for yeah. and for years. I think because um and I I felt I sort of developed like a very structured system for him to try to learn to write, you know? Yeah. And uh, and I think it was because, and why I felt like that was the first job I got and did well at was because I just, I probably projected a lot of myself onto him. Uh -huh. But like I would, get, you know, he had trouble if I would give him like a piece of paper and say, okay, go throw that away. And he would get, he would stop between where he was standing in the trash can and he would just move his head back and forth. And I related to that feeling, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I get it. Like yeah. I get not being able to make it to that trash can, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he was just stuck in the middle of the room. So yeah. I was like, you're going to make it to that trash can and back and then say what you wanted to say afterwards, uh -huh. you know? And did he? He did. I mean, it was a... I mean, I worked with him for many years, but we just started doing this thing where it's like, okay, I press A on the keyboard, you press A on the keyboard, you know, I press B, you press B. And then, and just, I just didn't want to give up on him because I felt 
maybe again I probably projected a lot of myself. But it gave him. you structure as but well. But it gave yeah. me structure for sure. It's like I learned so much in that job because I learned how to be an adult and how to right. feel productive. And it's funny because it's like I was organizing his life, but then I, you know, had really bad ADD and all that. So I would leave things all over the house whenever I go there. I just sort of shed things, you know, right. just debit cards, things throughout right. the city. And I remember the mother had this like delicate little pile for me on the cat, like right on <laughs> near Rachel's the couch. Pile. Yeah, she like, this is your pile of the things you left. So, you know, just pieces of debris that I left around the house. Yeah. So it was so funny that I'm like structuring her son and then we would do things like just practice riding the bus across town and back and take and, and then also expressing himself because he he just seemed like he had fascinating thoughts. I could tell by the way. You know, his expressions and the yeah. things that he was trying to say, but he felt really stuck. Uh-huh. So we just kept practicing and practicing. And um, and then he started writing in sentences. I mean, it was so fascinating that's to rewarding. start hearing what he was really thinking. Yeah. You know? Wow. Well, that's, yeah. I think, well, I think that's it. Like, I think that sort of pegs it because, like, it sounds like your parents were so supportive in that specific way, mm-hmm. which is progressive, that they were almost too permissive. So, like, you didn't have any real boundaries or or discipline around things. You're kind of left to your own devices because they had faith in you. Yeah. And then you just end up like, it's not that you're dumb. You're just sort of like, you end up kind of stuck in in a kind of, like, if you don't have a focus for yourself, you're just going to be like, I never really figured it out. Yeah, I felt very <laughs> unequipped to be, yeah. And, right. and I think that, and my mom would say that, too. She's like, we realize now, like, we didn't give you any structure. Like, right. you, you didn't. Because especially with kids that have problems focusing and paying attention, you need it to feel calm inside. So right. I would go to school and I always had my hair dripping down my back. And so I remember that. I'm like, what? How did that happen? Like, yeah. my hair was always dripping down my back. I think I was overwhelmed, leaving, getting to school, overwhelmed. And my mind, you know, stuck. It was just that same thing with that yeah, boy, but, like stuck between the the, the thing well, and the trash it. can. You if know? you have no sort of like, you're not, you don't have any structure or any real way to, to sort of... Um, contain yourself everything's fucking exhausting yeah you're just sort of like there's it's all happening everything's happening at once you can't compartmentalize exactly right and i want to be able to do that and like and learn how to kind of make decisions and so and and i felt like that with the kids and then i think with yeah i think when with through this relationship with him it really helped me to learn how to kind of do that for myself and and to and feel like i was purposeful and taking care of something too and so i remember like we watched this movie um uh, with uh, this movie about Helen Keller, and there's a scene in it where this, was it the old movie? Yeah, I can't remember what it's called oh, now. It's like a it's, famous it's movie, a famous, famous, famous film. I can't oh, remember the it was name. a play too. God yeah, and, damn and her it. teacher, um, she uh, Miracle Worker, Miracle Worker, yeah. yes. And it's a fascinating film. And there's a scene in the movie where she's trying to get her to sit down and and eat her food, right? Yeah. And sit at the table and just be a part of everybody and do it. And yeah. she she's like flinging everything everywhere and slamming it all over the place. And every time the child slams that Helen Keller, uh, like slams the food off the table, she slams it back. And and it's this very kind of like aggressive scene, but she's not going to give up on her. She's like, no, no, no. You know, every time she does something destructive or insane or yeah. just says, you know, that way that a lot of us feel growing up, like, eh, right. fuck you right. anyway. I don't give a shit, which is yeah. how I was at school, but I did care. And I right. wanted to you know be involved and create things i just didn't know how so it's easier to you know be yeah. sarcastic and and so and she is sort of like explosions at the table and they keep fighting back and forth and i remember i was sitting with him the child i was taking care of and he yeah. he was typing and he typed out and he said it's funny because 
it's this violent scene, yeah. but there's no violence in it, only love. And it was just like such a remarkable thing. And I, I still think about like, and that was as he was really learning to talk, you know, he'd been written off so much, but he was brilliant kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and so then he, and he was right. It's like the scene looks very violent. Right. Lots of flailing around right. and madness and food flying everywhere. But she's really just saying to her like, no, we're going to make a structured system for you so that you can be yourself. You know, oh. and, and so it was really cool because I, I still remember how he was like, it was just so, such you, insight. Right. And, but, and you had to put that all together yourself. So you're putting that together for you and the kid from this old movie. <laughs> Of you know a very famous case of 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 yeah. attachment and transcending you know physical uh, liabilities and handicaps, that's wild because like I never really thought about it before that you know you have perfectly loving parents but because of the way they saw the world they gave you freedom which kind of fucked you a little bit. Yeah, a little too much freedom, and and I mean, I I feel like every where I land is all because of a lot of it's because of them. Because, but sir, I definitely certainly feel like they could, you know, that's the thing that I didn't get. But I mean, I got the most important things because, like, I remember sure, when I wanted love. to, yeah, and and when I wanted to, um, when I st- thought about trying stand up, but I felt you know scared and i was like maybe i thought like maybe i'm gonna move back to dc and just be near my friends because i'm i feel kind of lost here and i told my dad i still remember being on the phone with him and saying like i think i'm gonna go back home and go to community college and just sort of like start over again and be near my friends and he said and i'll never forget the conversation because he said don't do that like you're you're gonna die inside you said you wanted to be a comedian stay (laughs) stay in new york and do that don't come home and live some sort of gelatinous existence for a few years how would that help you get to where you want to go, and I think that was probably really hard for him to say because I do think he was, you know, scared and worried about me being yeah. in New York. But, but he uh, wanted you to at least try. But he wanted me to really try. He was like, "No, no I don't think you should do that." <laughs> I yeah. Did. Well, I never really thought about comedy that way for people that have that weird, kind of overwhelmed, like feeling with the world. Like you know, like I don't know how to do things. You, you know that comedy. You know, once you get in it, like it's very specific. I'm going to go up there at first for four minutes and mm-hmm. do this. Like the the structure is very simple. I'm going to write this shit down and I'm going to go up there and try it. And then that's it. That's <laughs> that's the structure. Yeah. That's all of it. And then once you get into it, you can spread it out. Like I'm going to do more time and I got to, but it's very, it's more simple than, than most things. Like, you know, what's, what's your job? Well, I got to write some shit down and I got to make the people laugh with it and that's it. And then you get this built in community of, of other misfits <laughs> so there's this weird acceptance in the family of comedians that everybody's a fucking freak and flawed and weird and living in a different time zone than normal people. Yeah. So it's like the perfect place for people that don't have structure. You're right. right. You know, and I, also it's like you you have to do it. That's the good thing about stand up too. It's like there's no sliding. Can't fake it. Yeah, you can't. You have to get up there, and even even with your spot time, like yeah, you can't yeah. be rolling in at you know eight fifteen. If you're on stage at eight, you're on stage at eight, or somebody else is. Right, and there's no way you're going to be accepted into the family if you don't do it. And even if you don't do it well, you know you get respect. You know for yeah. for trying and for you know doing something different. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, it's like, I, and also I think that for me, it made me feel like it was the first thing that made me feel like, oh, well, maybe I am smart because, you know, I'd meet other smart comics or people like you that were more obviously intellectual to yeah. me, like that reminded me of my dad. And I always felt like, oh, I have these smart parents, but I'm not, you know, right, technically you get- smart. And then I, I, I was like, 
these group this group of people that I admire. So you know, to me, they're some of the my com- the comics I know, my and my dearest friends. I feel like oh, I'm I'm lucky. I get to hang out with people with the most smartest and extraordinary minds. And then that made me feel also and like funny. hey, maybe I'm smart. Yeah, they're hilarious. They're yeah. yeah. It's like no matter all the shit we talk, it's like we have so an absurd illegal amount of fun just oh, yeah. talking to each other right and know? people and they're they're all unique thinkers and they work shit out on their own yeah you know what i mean like they're smart in a very raw way a lot of us you know we're we're all figuring shit out yeah yeah and we all have in part and so much ab- about what comedy is is your point of view you know what are you doing what makes you different how are you like special you know yeah. we don't really think about <laughs> it but the guys we know if you really think about those guys even like at the at the table in the, at the cellar, you know, like Patrice, Norton, Geraldo, rest their souls, the ones who are gone, Colin. Yeah. They're all painfully unique people with very unique point of view. Yeah, and I remember having those people. Keith. Keith oh, Keith is one of the funniest people in the Best. entire world. I yeah. mean, this, Keith has made me cry laughing. Keith Robinson. Yeah, he's Keith a Robinson real guy. Keith Robinson is yeah. hysterical. I mean, it's funny because we were doing this road trip a long time ago, and it was like me and Keith and Kevin Hart on the yeah. road. And uh, Keith was, Keith was just teasing me about my dad being a civil rights lawyer, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna." He goes, "I'm gonna kill Rachel, and I'm gonna have a dad defend me." Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna call him up, and I'm gonna say this is the case that's gonna make you a star. <laughs> that's pretty dark for Keith, huh? Yeah, but it's like it, it was funny because I. He was hysterical. He was like one of the funniest people I ever met at that point in my life. I'm like, yeah, and this guy character. has so much fun and he's yeah. so funny. And But I remember just like talking to this group of people and I'm like, okay, so you don't have to dispose of those parts of yourself to, you know. to. Oh, yeah, right. You can embrace him. And that's the other thing It's weird that we still get or that you do. I don't know that I get it as much anymore, but this weird insecurity around people that have what we assume is a, a, a normal life. Is that mm-hmm. like we live a much more interesting life than a lot of people, but there's still something in the back of our heads like, you know, why don't I have the trappings of what seems like a stable yeah. middle class life where actually we, you know, we're the ones that they should be going like, what, what is your life like? Not like, <laughs> who are they to condescend? I think it's shallow and it is essentially yeah. condescending for them to be like, so this weird thing you do, it's like, yeah, I'm out there living a weird ass life. Yeah. You know, doing things that you can never imagine. Who are you to think that this is like? I know exactly what's going on here. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, they do size it up pretty quick. They're pretty sure they understand. It's funny. You're right because, like, it's weird sometimes. Uh, you know, like in different hard moments in my life or painful times where I'm on stage or on the road or something, and afterwards I'll talk to some couple. Yeah, and they'll come up to me afterwards, and they they have these very like cozy lives that sometimes I really want for myself, and they'll be like. You know, we thanks so much for making our date night incredible. You yeah, just yeah. really made our date night. And part of me is just like, like, fuck you. Yeah. Like, I, you know, like, I want a date night. <laughs> but it's not because I'm not glad they're there supporting me. Mm-hmm. It's because I'm jealous, I realize. Like, I'm, I get kind of jealous. Maybe right. it's like I feel partially judged at moments. But That we're so jaded. <laughs> yeah, but I'm kind of jealous of them. You know no, what I mean? I know. And I well, appreciate that's... their support. But I'm also like, I want to find, I do want to figure out a way that I can have like that, that cozy life and that I want a cozy I want to feel cozy you yeah, know yeah. but um, and not like cozy as in 
wealthy, just right. cozy. You right. know, it's and the same and, thing you've always been looking for: some sort of family that yeah. you know you, that has some some structure. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I don't want to talk. I I want to talk to my the same sure. pe- group of people I want to talk to every yeah. day. Like I feel like, well, whatever yeah. life I've lived, it's led me to have the best conversations possible. Yeah, I yeah. feel like I think you, you know? can still do that. Yeah, I hope so. I want a cozy. Life. So, like, when did you when did you first get on stage? What was you know what happened? Um, I was uh, I went on stage at this bar on the Upper East Side, uh, which closed down now, and um, I think I was so nervous that I drank like four Jack and Cokes, and I I, I like will have a few drinks, but I don't drink like that. Like yeah. that's I never drank that much in my life, you know. But I was just terrified. Usually, you know, I'll have like a beer, like something like that, you know, but I wanted to just escape the building all day at work. I was like at my nanny job, like fantasizing about a fire. I always have like a fire fantasy. If mm-hmm. I have something I don't want to do, I'm just like, well, hopefully the building will go on fire. <laughs> People will die, so I won't have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was just like praying there was going to be a fire. And then I drank more than I'd ever drank in my life that night. And then I got on stage and... um. I remember like loving it and having a really good time. Yeah. And um I was told afterwards that I was like not just wildly bombing, but that like it was a real problem. Like they were trying to get me off stage. I wasn't listening to anyone. Uh, you got it in your own world. Yeah, and the microphone apparently wasn't even pointed at my mouth. It was sort of diagonally across my face pointed north. Oh, you're you know? in outer space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I was it was I think it was a real disaster. Um but I thought it was I That's was like, all that's important. Yeah. Rach, and said, <laughs> That so, you killed. <laughs> Just, fuck, the, uh, fuck the truth. <laughs> fuck the truth. You're right. It got you to the next one. Yeah, it got me to the next one. You're right. I was like, I'd like to do that again. And then they were like, yeah, we, we gave you the light like four times. I didn't even see the Did light. you start doing, were you always doing characters? I think I started telling stories. Yeah, I would do, yes, I would do like characters and then I, or impersonate people in my life and yeah. stuff. And then I think at first... Um, it was just more like I just do this voice and then I started telling stories and learning how to be like more honest and yeah. more of myself on right. stage. Yeah. I mean, when I look at, I think I had this like attitude when I started, like that I thought was like cool. It's just humiliating to watch an old tape of myself because I'm kind of like sauntering around. You yeah. Know, like that's making what I was these, telling like, you. Yeah, I know. It's embarrassing. You're that's right. Tell- that is what you were telling me. <laughs> Shit. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I, I hate that I had an off stage too. What was I? Well, you well, you because well, well, like from what I can tell, and I'm no psych psychoanalyst, but just from my own life, is that given that you know we're sort of like these expansive kind of unstructured type of people that come from that, like you know you're gonna lock in on something that gets you through. Yeah, Do, you know what I mean. You got to figure out a way to be in order to to not just sort of like drift away. You said you got sad. You know what I mean, right? Yeah. So you got to, you got it. Like you got to get some swagger going. It happens naturally. Yeah, but you didn't have. Sw- did you? Have yeah, swagger? I was angry. I was you were just angry. Yeah, yeah, that's well, that's that. That's my version. Yeah, you're just furious. <laughs> just furious, all <laughs> steaming, <laughs> just, just like smoldering in the corner. Oh, yeah, wearing some sort of like gentle, like like sort of like a liberal t-shirt. Yeah, sure. Just my nice glasses. <laughs> Anger and fear and wanting to be liked, but fighting that. I just remember always hearing about your relationships. Like it was always seemed like you were involved in some sort of like a wild, mm-hmm. like all your relationships always sounded very wild to me. Yeah, you know, it was like, out of control. Th- there was always, yeah, like, yeah, like some kind of like a very like a like a public fight. It was like her, him against this woman, and you know what I mean. And they were like, it was a one sided public fight. <laughs> in my side, usually, yeah. <laughs> all the women would just run away and be like, "Oh God, why does he stop talking about me?" 
Yeah. But you you were always but you were always very uh good good to everybody. You're always like very friendly. Yeah, I was my own problem. I appreciated that because a lot of times when I started you know, people just, uh, you know, people say fucked up shit and they're not that warm sometimes. So I always remember who's warm. Oh, uh, well, I'm glad I did that. Like, I don't know yeah. if everyone has that same memory. I'm finding that more people do than I thought, which is good. Yeah, you're always warm to me. Yeah. And I and I mean, people would, when you started, you just remember every every awful moment with somebody, you know. Oh, right, so. where you feel like something, like, because you, you're nervous and they're there who they are and you don't yeah. want it to go badly. And I'm sure I was very annoying too because I I just I every exchange I had with everybody was so magnified it was like I'm talking to Greg Giraldo you know so yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. I was a fucking pain to deal with you know I although know. Greg was also really really kind like He's that too. He's a sweet too. guy. He was he, a sweet guy. He was help, helping me to get into the cellar and just doing various like cool things for me. So I guess he saw through my, you know, whatever my dumb NYC attitude I was walking around with. But you got into the <laughs> cellar. How many years? In? I mean, you did the Boston when that was there. You did the whole kind of like all the gigs that were available in New York to fucking figure out how to do it. And then who'd you start to, like, when did you get in the cellar? How many years into it were you? Uh, I think it was like, Five years in, or something like and that. And SD like let you. You got referred by a. I Greg think it was and- Gir- yeah, it was Geraldo. I can't remember who the second comedian was, but Colin was there, and Colin was also just you know, Colin is like such yeah. a gentleman and really sweet to me, and so he. He watched my set next to Esty, I remember. Yeah. And he said something really nice in front okay. of Esty, and he made yeah. the point to do that, and. Yeah. Um, you know, he was always like the gentleman of yeah. everyone. You know, yeah. Just a sort of like yeah, f- like fatherly gentleman. Yeah. He was just so sweet to me. So um. Him and Greg, I think they talked to her, and um, and I and she also obviously she made her own decision to watch me. But I was I I think I kind of bombed my way out of there, and then I got went back in years later. So oh really? Yeah, I don't think I I she faded me out. I got that slow fade off the schedule, and then right. she late night spots, yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden no spots, and then just ghosted yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Because I think I was I don't think I was really quite ready to be there yet, and then I got back in late, years later. Oh yeah, so, yeah. It's like so weird the weight of that place where you just like I, oh my God. I she still makes me nervous, and she's got actually gotten nicer. I still remember being on the playground, like taking care of the kids on yeah. Thursdays when you would get your spot, you yeah, know, right? And I didn't have. I would just like, I mean, I didn't have any ability to not go crazy. Every Thursday morning, I'd get up just so anxious. Am I going to get a spot? Am I going to get a spot? And then I would check, yeah, I would check my messages in the playground and just be like, yeah. And then if there'd be no message, like I would actually call, like, I just, did I not, like I needed vocal conference. (laughs) Did I miss something? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I got my messages. (laughs) Like I needed her to say no. (laughs) No, not this week. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I like Keith used to call me up and he'd be like, "Can you do it for us? <laughs> Never again, you know." How was Atel to you? Nice. Atel was so cool, and he would get me work. And yeah, he was one of those guys that would bring you on the road, never hit on you, always be as cool as shit, and such a sweetheart. Yeah, he brought you on the road. Yes, a couple times he'd have me open for him, and then he would. Uh, he, I was bartending for a while at Caravas, Carrie Caravas's bar, mm-hmm. and I remember Attell used to come in there, and I'd be so nervous, you know, I'm like Dave Attell is in the bar, you know, I was like so terrified, <laughs> and then he would come over and ask me a few questions, like, "Oh, are you getting up?" You know, whatever, and then he would leave like an absurdly large 
tip on the yeah. bar and you know drink like half of his shot of Jaeger you know we'd have yeah. some odd exchange where he didn't make eye contact with me and I blamed it on myself not yeah. knowing you know that whatever his social anxiety was yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah and then he would leave like an absurd sum of money every yeah. time you know yeah. and then he would just get me things along the way always you know got me work and was really cool to me so was Todd Berry he got me a lot of work as well oh yeah did he you open for Todd yeah it opened for Todd and um and uh yeah, and Billy Burr. Those were all guys that were really nice and didn't didn't. And they took you out. Didn't yeah, John Heffron too. Um, wow. Yes. Yeah. So they they would all. That's how you sort of started featuring for those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those guys, Jeff Ross too, and um, and Keith and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and Marina Franklin and I wouldn't hang out all the time. So she was like, yeah, she's great. Yeah. She's hilarious. Yeah. So we were the ones that were sort of like it was like the two of us kind of running back and forth between the cellar and Boston and yeah. And then like, uh, well, that's a beautiful story. The nice fellas of comedy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's plenty of animals, but those guys were really good to me. <laughs> those are good guys to have good to you. Yeah. That's funny, but because it does. How about, did you, did, well, when you started, who brought you on the road in the beginning? I started in a weird way because, like, I did. I started actually working as a comic in Boston. So the shows were, you know, they were all one nighters, and it would be the opener would do a half hour, and then mm-hmm. the and it'd be a two man show, and the headliner would do forty five, and that would be the show. So I sort of started have working with a half hour. Like I didn't have to do the sort of opener. Like by the time I got to New York. I was almost a, a headliner, like mm-hmm. so. It was I didn't feature a lot, so you just went pretty quickly to it. Yeah, I was. I went. Well, it wasn't quickly. I mean, it took it took years. But when I started, when I moved to San Francisco in '92, like I was only in New York from that first time from '89 to '92, and mm-hmm. Esty wouldn't work me. No one would work me. I you know, really I, nah. I was too angry. Where too were you weird. playing? Boston, Boston and the old Improv, the original Improv. When Where it was, was that? I didn't know there was an Improv in New York. The original improv is in New York. Oh, right, right. Of course, of course. On 44th, yeah. I think. And it was okay. like sort of like on its last legs. But she would work yeah. me. And I would do road shit in Boston. I'd go back every weekend to make money. Mm-hmm. And then when I moved to San Francisco, um, I sort of started headlining. So I sort of skipped over that feature thing. Yeah. And uh, But I, you know, I remember I featured for Colin once and it was, you know, it was a point of contention Really? Yeah, well, because well, you know, it well, it, it I'm sure not anymore, but like when I first got to San Francisco and I was featuring, I you know, paid a lot of dues doing pretty strong half hours and 40 minute sets. Mhm. And uh, you know, I was I was close to being a headliner and then you you know, you don't really want to do it, but and I know this cuz there's a karmic return to it. I've been handed my ass by middles plenty of times. You know, if there's mm-hmm. a guy in the middle that's you know it's that's crushing. Yeah. That's crushing. It's what you know. You're like, ugh, I'm gonna <laughs> be rough. Yes. Yeah. And you know, and that happened. I remember Colin did a week, and I, you know, and it was like, and I think part of me went out of my way to sort of like, you know, crush because you want to crush. You want to show off and show them you can right. do well, not right. just show off, but show them your your strong. Colin. Yeah, and I always felt shitty about that. I've never felt completely comfortable around Colin, even though he's treated me pretty well. You know, he put me on Tough Crowd and stuff, and we're okay. But I've never had this. I've never done a WTF with him or anything. And really? Yeah. Have you asked him? Yeah, which just never. It hasn't happened. It hasn't worked not, out yet. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. You know. I, I don't know. It's it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm good with him. But but just speaking to that, uh, you know, I I didn't feature a lot. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you also had a lot of material too. I guess I just like it. it just it was unorthodox. If you came up doing 
those two man shows mm -hmm. for a couple of years where you know you were going out on the road at you know in these weird environments and doing a half an hour you're right out of the gate it was pretty you were pretty solid i mean i middled a bit but you know i, I started headlining like 93 92 93 did your parents come out and watch you yeah when i'd go to new mexico like I did, uh, I did like when I was at, uh, well, there's that whole other time. Yeah, I guess I'm not really being completely like there was a period there where I was a doorman at the comedy store right after college. I came to LA and I got all fucked up and I, I did do some opening. Mm -hmm. Like I went back to Albuquerque and I opened for mm -hmm. some people at that club and they would come see that. Yeah, yeah, for I like mean, bits of it. Yeah, but just not, no, I, I like would definitely, yeah, there was just, a, I did opening, but there was not a lot of middling. Right, because right. of Boston, because of the way that system worked up there. Yeah, I remember hearing about it a lot when I started. Like, yeah, yeah, that was, it was where a, the guys. Yeah, you just sort of figured out who was good, and then they just came. They just came out of there. Well, you worked. You were able to work. There was all these like one nighters, and and that was the mm -hmm. road. That's how you worked. Like you once you got a half hour, you'd go get paid and you'd drive and you'd go do these opening spots. I would. I always loved the crowds there because I would go there. My brother was a uh, my older brother, the one that works in advertising. I was in at Berkeley music school there and he uh and i would go visit him at berkeley and do that um what's the room that was above the chinese restaurant what oh yeah the comedy studio yeah and the yeah. crowds were so good. well that wasn't there when i was there really no we had real kind of old school boston comedy clubs like nick's and the comedy connection and barry katz had a room when i was in college called mm -hmm. played against sam's it was in a basement up in Alston. Uh -huh. Stitches. Playing against Sam's is such a ridiculous. Well, thing. it was this weird place. It was a. It was basically a bar with a movie theater that you could drink in, and in the basement was the comedy club. Oh my! God. And it was like a real place. Like I did open mics there when I was in college. But so now, like you, you're a big headliner. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> There's such a sadness to that response. Yeah. Thank you. But no, but you like, you know, been at it a long time. You paid your dues. Like you got a lot of respect from uh, other comics and, and now you've got your first big special out and Amy produced it. Amy Schumer. Yeah. We're roommates right now. Amy and I. <laughs> I why? Why? Well, um, I uh, went through a breakup, so I moved in with her. Yeah. And then we, um, yeah, we live together and, and we're enjoying our life life together. So um <laughs> I don't think I'm going to move. But it seems like both like of you could leave, live on your own. I think, yes, we are capable of doing so now. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, she was, she, I was saying, I was like, because I live with her and her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to move out in, you know, June or whatever. And she's like, just stay a few more months, you know. And there's this other place that I was going to go to. And I was like, I think I'm going to go to the other place for a few days and give you guys some space. And she's like, if you go to the other place, then I'll go to the other place and I'll meet you Aww, there. Like, it was sweet. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we are having fun right now. It's a fun life. And, you know, she's like, we're never going to be able to do this again. Right. So may as well do it for a little while more. You know, we're yeah. both away a lot and she's away filming a movie now for a few months. So, but um, it's it's nice. We uh, I like the Upper West Side where we're living right now. It's just like a peaceful area. Uh -huh. It's cool. We just go take a walk around the park. We'll do like, oh. a workout tape and scream at it, you know. And Oh, you do and workout write, tapes together? Yeah, we do these workout tapes. We just kind of yell at them and work uh -huh. out and then like go sit and write in the living room. And Are you so you're on the staff on her show? No, no. You just act on her show sometimes? I just do stuff on the show. Yeah. yeah sometimes. Yeah. Oh, that's well, that's sweet. Thank you. Do you open for her ever? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I, I did a few weeks ago in uh, Jackson, Jacksonville. How's that? Crazy? Orlando. Big room? Ridiculous. She's playing arenas now. And yeah, it's uh -huh. really fun. It was me and Mark Norman and Sam Morell, I think, on the show, that show. Um, and uh, yeah, it's crazy. 
So you're doing it. She you're... brings her whole family with her on the road too, uh-huh. which is really nice. Uh-huh. Her brother uh, is in his band. He opens for her, and uh, he's really good. So um, it's it's a nice way to travel. It's just all like all these you know, people. Friends. That, yeah. And you and you're you're you are your parents proud of you? They are very sweet. They're very kind. And you're making a living. I mean, sometimes it's. They'll come out to shows and it's weird to perform in front of them because they're so proud. But, you know, it's just embarrassing. Yeah. Like the other sure. day, like I was performing in D.C. and I was in the middle of this joke and I was saying the words like mediocre hand job or something. Yeah. And I made like accidental eye contact with my father. <laughs> I was just like, oh, God. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. They're so they're sitting there with their open, like jazzed yeah. up faces, yeah, you know, yeah. but it's lovely. That's it's just, our dirty daughter. Yeah, that's a, yeah. But it's. They're support. They're really supportive. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I'm glad things are working out. What's the special called? Uh, Only whores wear purple. It's called Only whores wear purple, and it's on Comedy Central. You can get it on Amazon, um, and or the CC app. Sure. Yeah, I yeah. promote that. Oh, cool. I, yeah, they they're sponsors. Awesome. So get a double <laughs> dose of promotion. Well, it was great talking to you, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. That was nice. It was nice to talk to her. I'm glad she's doing well. And um, check her out at rachel-feinstein.com. Funny woman. Yeah. All right, what else? What else? What do we got? Don't forget to come hang out with me and my producer, Brendan McDonald, in Anaheim next month. We'll be at the Now Hear This Festival. This is three days of your favorite podcasts live in one place. It's October 28th through 30th. And the special WTF show with me and Brendan is on Saturday, October 29th. Go to nowhearthisfest.com to get tickets and see the full lineup. And now you can use the offer code WTF when you buy tickets to save 25% off general admission. That's nowhearthisfest.com. Offer code WTF. Whoo! You know, I someone sent me this email after I talked to uh, you know Ben Radliff and uh, Kamasi Washington just talking about the word riffing. He said a riff is variations on a phrase. You get a phrase going very, and it's like, changed my life. Um, all right, well, I'll play a, a moment of guitar. I, you know, I, I, I've got things to do. Hold on.